<sighs> Gory hell, I should have them all. Where are they? Seat trackers for Reaper, Sephiro, Clown, Pebble, Screw. Broadcast yet? Sephiro, can you hear me? What happened to the Harpy? Wait. I can't see them on the holotrack. Slack this iron rain and these gory damn spoilers. Someone pick up. Sephiro. Reaper. Anyone. Come in. If you're on this channel, someone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend Jeremy. How's it going? It's going pretty well, man. Thank you. What's new, man? What's going on? Ah, uh, what is new? Um, not much. I mean, it's still COVID. So, is there anything new for anybody? Yeah, there's something new. I have a big update for you. A Mandalorian season two update. Oh no! Did you did you watch it? I still haven't watched it. Oh my gosh, we can't be friends any longer. You promised. Oh yeah, I did promise. But you know what? That's 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 your life. Um, deal with it. I actually started watching WandaVision. That show's dope. I enjoy WandaVision. Yeah. How far so are I you in? How, how many episodes? Just three episodes. Okay. Yeah. I actually really, really like how they start that the season. Where you're at is phenomenal. I love satire and campy satire. Mm -hmm. And then I also love comic books. And it's like, I never thought I'd have the blend of both things. And I'm like, this is so amazing. I love watching this. Uh, yeah, WandaVision's great. I'll, I'll still get around to Mandalorian season two. It's just, it hasn't happened yet. It just hasn't happened. Yeah, I think the creators of WandaVision, absolutely brilliant in their ability to change every aesthetic. I mean, not only is it starting black and white and kind of harken back to the I Love Lucy's or the Honeymooners or kind of that old school, but the camera mm. work actually changes as you progress oh through my gosh. the eras. So it's not, yeah. it's the dialogue, it's the color, it's the camera work, like everything it was studied and replicated for the era. It's amazing. Yeah, so this is our, uh, this is our commercial for WandaVision if you haven't watched it yet. <laughs> so watch WandaVision, I guess. <laughs> I want to start talking about Fitchner in terms of Red Rising before we talk about him in terms of Golden Sun, because I think that's the best framework for this character. In Red Rising, I really like Fitchner. I don't know how you feel. I'll ask you in a second. The reason why is because he serves a lot of great purpose. He is a guide for Darrow. He is a mentor to Darrow, not the best one at times, but he also <laughs> kind of shows Darrow intentionally and unintentionally 
where he needs to go and what he needs to do to succeed. And his version of that is different than Darrow's, but regardless, he does have his best interests, regardless of how he goes about that. When you get to Golden Sun and you get to, especially the when he enters the story, I just have no idea why he's there. I don't understand his purpose, unlike how I totally understand his purpose inside Red Rising. Let's go back to that scene. So you're exiting the gala, House Augustus, Nero, Darrow and company are trying to get off of Luna. And it feels like they're close to getting off Luna. And as soon as they do, a hundred obsidian land, and then in front of them, the Rage Knight lands. And you're like, holy yeah. crap, this, it's going to be this epic fight. You're just kind of feeling it, right? You're like, <laughs> yeah, let's go. And then the helmet of the Rage Knight reels back, and it's Fitchner, and Daryl laughs. He like goes, ha. And I can't help but do the same thing in a sense, because... I didn't know a lot about Olympic Knights the first time I read this story, but I knew they weren't Fitchner. That felt really <laughs> out of left field to me. And I just didn't really feel like this. I was like, Pierce, are you just out of ideas? Are you just going to try to shoehorn Fitchner back in this story? But when you finally get to that moment where you hear and see that Ares is Fitchner, there's just a rush of clarity to him and everything makes sense. And it's not a shoehorn. It was very intentional. How did you feel about Fitchner's overall arc from book one to book two? I didn't care for him or care about him. Probably both, actually. And you kind of said that you understood him. And I don't think I shared that same understanding hmm. of Fitchner from book one. It's not that the character bothered me. It's just that he really didn't register to me in a sense. Yeah, I get that. What does he do? I mean, he just kind of... You know, he's a funny, odd character. He blows bubbles and chewing gum. And he's <laughs> he's he does drop these moments that kind of link him to being Severo's father, if you kind of look back on it on a second read. But that didn't that wasn't obvious to me on my first read, for sure. Honestly, like, I mean, all the way up until the point where you were saying where he divulges himself as, a, as an Olympic knight, he just kind of seemed pointless to me in a sense. I think your point isn't unlike a lot of other people. Like, I think a lot of people share that same vision of what Fitchner is. And I've actually asked people in the past that have read Red Rising on Instagram and others that have messaged us. Some people are actually, we've had one listener that messaged me saying, how do I even, what do I even do with Fitchner? I don't even know what this character is. And I was like, oh, I can't tell you how you should feel about a character. <laughs> like, but at the same time, <laughs> like, I think this is, there's a, almost like a service that Pierce Brown is doing with Fitchner that makes a lot of sense. I think that the way I look at him is this. Fitchner isn't too much of anything. He's not too funny. He's only a little bit funny. He's not too crass. He's only a little bit crass. He's not too helpful. He's only a little bit helpful. Because if he goes all the way into one end of a spectrum, then it becomes almost maybe noteworthy or apparent that he could have been Aries. And I think Pierce Brown, for lack of a better word, he kind of hides Fitchner in plain sight. So in order that he can make that reveal have a lot of payoff for the reader or for the listener, and you're just stunned by the moment. Because I think if he made him one thing that really stood out or had one like true prominent characteristic, he might have been spoiled in a sense. Like let's just take, for example, the identity of Fitchner being a helpful person in book one, which I think he is, not, but he's not too helpful. But what if he was? What if he was overtly helpful to Daryl? If he was that, then I think that maybe you have this idea later in the story that he could be someone on the side of the rising, but he doesn't play it like that. He makes Fitchner this character that is kind of just the middle of the road. So anything else you want to add about Fitchner before we go ahead and jump into chapter 42? 
Yeah, I think one thing that sticks out to me with Golden Sun is how amazing a backstory Fitchner has. It really just pulls you into this whole new understanding of him that that happens at this exact instant where not a lot of people cared for him. I mean, he could have been some random, strange Fitchner fan, but the majority of people probably just care not one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you you find out that not only is he Severo's father, but he bore Severo or sired Severo through a red woman. And they had to seek carvers in order to make that work. And the length at which he went through for his love and to bring Severo into the world just shows how not racist he is, you know, and it really just <laughs> changes that perspective on him just in an instant. In it, and it just kind of changed my mind, I guess. That's cool. That's good. I like Fitchner. I like him in Red Rising a lot. I do not like him in Golden Sun until we get the reveal that he's Ares. And then after that, I held the character in high regard. I really enjoy the character. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun to talk about in a vacuum, but also in the sense of story as well. So let's go and do that. Let's talk about him in a sense of story after the break. All right. Let's see what we've got here. Let me just break this out. All right, here we go. Uh, we've got Fitchner, obviously. Uh, Tectus, bless his heart. Rogue, <laughs> blowhard. Yeah, we've got Mustang in here. Of course, we've got several. Um, Dr. Virini. Uh, wait, Dr. Virini? <laughs> Hell, they've even got Aja. Where's the broadcast card? No, 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 where is it, where is it? Uh, what sort of piss prick designed this game? Sorry, broadcast here. Again, you've got me uh, on an open channel. I apologize, I've got to stop doing that. I was just taking a look at the Red Rising board game. We've got an advanced copy and uh, excellent art, but whoever picked out the cast of characters has gone and made a major oversight. I'm going to have to send a strongly worded letter to the editor because how are you going to have a board game without broadcast? I'm an essential part of the story. At least I like to tell myself that. <sighs> well, I can deal with that later. For now, I've got to read the ads. I'm keen on the song that I've picked out this week. I hate to read over it because it's so good, so I might just let it play a little bit toward the end. And if you want to hear the whole track, I'll throw a link to it in the description. Uh, anyway, here we go. Hell Reaper is brought to you this week by Terigian Law. If you're seeking legal counsel or you're in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Terigian Law might be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. The great thing about Tarigian Law is that there's no doublespeak, no confusing language, no upfront commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. Getting started is easy. Just call 559-627-5399 or visit tarigianlaw.com. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, We all deserve peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. Once again, that's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com or call 559-627-5399. Tarigian Law. The advice you need minus the BS.
Jeremy, we're at chapter 42 today, which is called Death of a Gold, a really big chapter within Golden Sun. And for those people who have not read it in recent vintage, let me go ahead and frame up where we're at for you. This is post-Iron Rain territory. Darrow and the Hallers were just caught in the mud. They broke free. And now Darrow is going rogue, totally rogue, having one of his baller moments. Uh, he broke from the ranks and he says, I can go get Octavia. I can end this war right now. So he attempts to go do this. He finds Octavia's ship. He lunges onto it. He pulls himself up. And that's where that chapter 41 ends and chapter 42 begins is him realizing that in the bay of that ship, he is not alone. He is with Carnus Albalona. <laughs> he is with Aja Algrimus. He is with the Sovereign herself. He is with Fishner Albaca and a couple unnamed Praetorians. Crazy yep. chapter. My feelings on this were fear the first time I encountered it. Pure fear for the character, Darrow, that I love so much. And I feel like I'm an extension of that protagonist when I read books most of the time. And Darrow is no exception because <laughs> I love this character, one of my favorite characters of all time. And so even when I read it and reread it, I still feel that initial anxiety a little bit. I still internalize that, be thinking, how is he gonna get out of this? He, and and Darrow is a character that we've talked about in the past. He has so much control over his atmosphere, so much control over the elements, and he has none here. And in fact, he's screwed. In fact, he's going to die. I'm thinking right away, he's dead. This book is going to change and Darrow will no longer be the protagonist. It's going to shift gears here. Yeah, it's not that I don't care about Darrow. I, I like him very much as a character and protagonist, but... I'm just not as high on the empathy scale as you are as a person. <laughs> and if I'm being honest, I, I kind of found this to be comical in a sense, this scene. And I don't mean like funny haha. I mean funny uh-oh, like situational funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he puts himself into this moment that you talked about where all these bad guys are around him, so to speak, all yeah. these antagonists. And it kind of has this feeling of of a trope that bond movies use a lot actually where james bond gets captured it doesn't seem like he's has any way out and suddenly there's like this massive amount of dialogue usually that dialogue is where your nemesis is giving you his entire plan <laughs> so that when, once you do escape you can foil his plot uh -huh. that's missing but the dialogue itself is there that kind of buys darrow all the time he needs in order to escape so it kind of had that feel for me and it, it just it made me chuckle in a sense, I guess. I did not chuckle whatsoever. I still feel <laughs> that anxiety. I still feel like, oh, holy crap, Daryl's going to die. And that's fair. But I think it's funny because this does happen a lot. It's a trope. It's common in like TV shows, books, comics, like the, the antagonists talk for too long or they decide what they're going to do. And that's what's happening right here. They're deciding who's going to kill Daryl. Like <laughs> at first it's Aja, then Karnas tries to kill Daryl. Then Fitchner is appointed to kill Daryl. It's just like this revolving door of who's going to get to kill him, exactly. which buys him that time. Rather it buys Fitchner that time to kind of create the rescue opportunity. Which is, yeah, so it, it's a really funny chapter, funny uh-oh, like you said, not funny haha. -ha. I want to move on to talking about this chapter in a literary sense before we talk about it in the sense of what it means for Fitchner and kind of the, the grand story of who this character is. And we'll kind of wrap the two up together, I guess, in, in one kind of big bundle. For sure. And Pierce Brown uses these amazing literary devices within this chapter. He's kind of dunking on all of us readers, just telling you, look what I can do. And I, like, I find it fascinating to uh, read this chapter over and over again because it's one of the chapters that I feel like I'm getting something new each time. The first thing that he does that I find fascinating is he goes back to this thing he did in book one that he does every so often is he kind of builds back in his staccato-like 
writing style. And it's just these little flash bulbs, almost like a heartbeat pulse to describe the emotion that's happening in the scene. And that emotion can be sadness, that emotion can be fear, it can be anxiety, it can be an immense drive like adrenaline. But he uses it here in this kind of somber, Daryl almost like letting go. He's resigning himself to this death that has now been appointed by three different people that he's about to die. He's coming to this almost acceptance. This is right after Fitchner saves him. Tumbling. Flying? Senses cold. Ragged wind biting me. Stomach in my throat. Spinning. It's all these like little one word, single word, two word sentences. Yeah. Again, it feels like this almost like a heartbeat pulse that kind of just draws you into the chapter even more. Darrow is a really great expository personality to be with because <laughs> he's always telling us exactly what's going on. And in fact, a lot of times in great detail. So when he goes to this different, when Darrow goes to this different version of himself, this like one word sentence, two word sentence structure, it means the character of Darrow is really feeling something. And it's really great that Pierce Brown is, is showing you that he has another gear he can go to and another way of being in Darrow's head. And I just love it. I love when he does shift into that gear. Yeah, as you said, this is a great kind of callback to book one. And that brings us to Mount Olympus, of course. And it has that same sense that draws you in, that just puts you in that narrow kind of tunnel vision. I think it really helps that mm. Pierce writes in that first person present tense narrative because you feel the adrenaline also flowing through your veins along with Darrow and, and he just takes you for that ride. And this scene very much benefits in the same way that Mount Olympus does. For sure. What about you? you? I know you have a literary call out that you want to talk about that's inside this chapter. Yeah. So speaking of callbacks, there's another really amazing and yet extremely subtle one that honestly I wouldn't have gotten. We had the benefit of doing a Patreon episode that was exclusive uh, to that community. And part of that is we brought on a couple of our Discord members and one of them was Grace. The topic of the podcast was favorite minor characters. And she brought up Dago which is the Gamma Helldiver of Lycos from book one. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, Dago, let's, let's <laughs> like, do sure, this. Sure, you're in the book for like two seconds, but okay, cool. Yeah, it, interesting choice. But Grace really kind of floored me with, with his takeaway because at this moment, he takes this massive drag on his burner and says something to the effect of how Darrow's going to burn so hot and fast. Mm -hmm. And it's really a prophetic word. Because this is a cautionary tale to Darrow. He is completely impulsive. He's kind of immature and he's narcissistic in book one, especially within the context of, of the minds where we start our journey at, uh, back in the first book. And it's kind of like, if you don't change, this is going to be you. And, the, you know, and then he yeah. draws the, the, the burner. Now, suddenly, he's in the hole of the, the landing bay or, or the bay of the ship or whatnot, and now Aja actually echoes Dago, and she tells Fitchner, your boy burned bright and fast. And this is this almost prophecy fulfilled, because for all intents and purposes, I mean, Darrow's going to die here. Yeah, sure, he has a pulse grenade, 
right? And th- that's kind of another comical issue because suddenly yeah. the sovereign flips it. Octavia tells the pilot to do a, a twirl or twist or something like that. Barrel roll. A barrel roll. And then he loses it and, and Aja kicks it out the back and then he's like, oh, well, I have nothing left. I'm screwed, right? <laughs> yeah. So he is supposed to die here. And this was an incredibly poor decision on Dero's part. This was him reverting back to exactly what Dago warned him not to do. And that was to be impulsive, to be narcissistic, to think that he could just do this all on his own without his posse, right? And it's kind of like, well, this is what you get. There's even this moment that Darrow says himself internally, I'm a fool for thinking I can control all the variables. So even he's wrestling and accepting this prophecy that was put over him by Dago. There's one more thing I want to talk about before we pivot into this conversation about reveals. And it's this one last device that Pierce Brown uses in this chapter. It's fog being lifted. Think of who Daryl was coming into the scene. He had half his arm, like you can see the muscle because he's been shot. He had to use his razor to get out of his star shell. Otherwise he was going to die at the bottom of a river. The guy's been to hell and back you get this sense of Daryl feeling like he's almost teetering. And that's that device that we're talking about earlier with that staccato rhythms. And he's about to die, he's accepting of that. And Fitchner is now coming forward to him and he's about to take off his head and then kick the body to the ground out of the spacecraft. He's just resigned to it and he's got all this cloudy, foggy feeling because again, he's beaten half to hell and he just can't see straight anymore. He asks Fitchner, father and then uncle narrow neither are true and what takes him out of that cloud out of that fog-like state is fitcher saying you bloody damn fool i had it under control And I love that because it goes back to Red Rising when Titus said, bloody damn, which was the trigger for Dare to realize that he was a red. Yes. And so you're having this kind of come full circle here. And then the fog is just completely clear. It's lifted for Darrow. And he says, and then I look up at Ares. Everything comes into place for him, for the reader too. That veil has been pulled off of our eyes, just like it's being pulled off Darrow's eyes. And we're getting that same realization with him because of these trigger words. And so we no longer have fog of who Ares is. And for Darrow, the same experience. Yeah, I'd love that continuity that Pierce brings the story when he ties that book one and book two element together with words like bloody damn. That's fantastic. You know, the duality of the writing that Pierce is able to get in here and just it's lifting that fogginess and cloudiness off of us as well at the same moment, which is which is just what makes it such a great reveal. I'm a big fan of symbolic writing. So this was for us like a big treat when we went through this recently because we reread these chapters together in order to prep for podcasts. Man, we were like floored by this. This is really fun. So this last conversation I want to have with you, Jeremy, is one of reveals. And we think that reveals are one of the biggest propellers of the book. We talked about with several friendships. We talked about tactus loss. And now we're here at this this moment of 
the ultimate revelation in the story is Fitchner being Ares, but there's other reveals that are happening. And in fact, we think that the idea of reveals are something that really pushes this story forward. It's almost like you find out something new and then you kind of graduate onto another level of the book. And Pierce Brown is using this as a theme that occurs and reoccurs to kind of ignite the next part of the book here. And for us, I want to make a distinction. The end of the book with Adrius and the garden party, that is not a reveal to us. We think that is a plot twist. That's what we yes. look like as a plot twist. For us, a reveal is something that was hidden knowledge that we had a vague idea of and is now fully exposed. So I want to talk to you about the biggest five reveals in this book and kind of uh, and kind of have a fun conversation and kind of rank them, our individual rankings of these top five reveals, what we like the best. We'll go one, one, two, two, three, three, and so on. And just kind of talk about each of them individually, just for a second, because there's some there's some doozies in here. <laughs> there's some <laughs> ones that just like blow our mind. This being the one of them, obviously, the Fitchner reveal is just next level. Because I don't know, I want to ask you this. I was completely caught off guard. I had no clue, no even inkling that Fitchner was Ares or could be, could be Ares. I thought Ares was a predetermined character that we'll meet later down the road, probably in book three. And it's going to be this new person that's going to have this amazing quality to them. And it's Fitchner. But um, what was your initial reaction to that? Because I was just mind blown. I'll right there with you. Just like we met Dancer, it's kind of one of those, all right, here's your blindfold. We're going to throw you back at the car. We're going to take you down there. And then you're going to meet this guy. I, I thought much in the same way. That's exactly how we were going to meet the true Aries at some point. And it was going to be a brand new character. No clue. No clue whatsoever was going to be Fitchner. Which makes it so much fun, which makes it the ultimate, like this ultimate drop that just like all of a sudden hits you in the head. And you're like, holy crap, it was amazing. Yes. So let's go ahead and do this. <laughs> so we have, I'm going to list these reveals in chronological order, and then we'll discuss them. Here we go. Here are the five big reveals inside Golden Sun. I'm going to list them in chronological order. Darrow trains with Lauren between books one and two. We did not know this was happening. He became a razor master essentially overnight for us. But in that year that he was uh, between books one and two, that's when Daryl was training and training hard. And that's what enables him to beat Cassius at the gala. We also find out that Eo is pregnant uh, in the moment of her death. That's just so freaking heartbreaking. Uh, the third one being that Dancer is alive. We are told by Harmony in the same moment that she told us that Eo was pregnant, that Dancer was killed, and that was not true. We find out that he is alive later in the book. Ares, that being the reveal that happens fourth, and then Severo's backstory, finding out that he's half red, that making a lot of sense finally. You know, him being a lot shorter in stature, him being like almost, he's so bronze, he's almost not gold, that all that <laughs> kind of makes sense. Um, yeah. For you, Jeremy, what's your biggest reveal and your favorite reveal in Golden Sun? Uh, number one for me is exactly what we've been talking about. This is the Fitchner reveal as Ares. And for all the reasons we, we just expounded on, I mean, it just completely took me by surprise and just <clears throat> mind blown kind of moment. For sure. hundred percent. I can't say anything more. And we, we've been talking about it. So number one for me is Ares being Fitchner. How about your number two though? Two. Oh man. Uh, okay. Two is actually pretty concrete. So I, I have a little trouble after that, but two is Eo's pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And Oh man, just so deeply sad for me in that in that moment. And and I had actually forgotten about the kind of side conversation. And man, that was some seriously like delayed payoff for Pierce to kind of like make it take that long to get the answer on what was going on mm -hmm. there. But where I had forgotten, and then and then suddenly 
when they started messing with the controls on the on the video, I was like, oh no, what, what is this going to be? And it just broke my heart. That conversation you were talking about referencing was when EO pulled up Dio to give the last words rather than pulling up Darrow. And then Dio breaks down and it's just this epic, sad moment. And then we're like, wait, what? And then you go through a whole book of awesomeness and you just completely forget about it, like you said. Exactly. And for me, EO's pregnancy is, a, is an ultimate drop. That's my number two as well. Oh, wow. So we're in tandem we're so We're two far. for two. Yeah, Sam's. Let's see if we can keep this up. Um, okay, so three for me. I'm going to put Severo's backstory here. We, we're three for three, bro. We're three for three. Are we? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm kind of having not to order it in like astonishment this time because there's a couple that kind of like gave me the wow factor about the same. But this is kind of, it takes the cake because it's it's more important. And getting this amazing sense of what makes Severo Severo and as we talked about in some of the other episodes, it's like, why does Darrow have a stronger connection with Severo than he does to say Roke or, or some of the other mm-hmm. characters? And this is that, right? This is this is the reason. Fully agree. I, I love the moment. I love the the whole scene in which this gets revealed because it has a lot to do with Fitchner too. Finding you're finding a lot about Fitchner's backstory and Severo's backstory in tandem. And it's a really poignant moment it's a beautiful moment but it's also tragic too because r.i.p bren who is fitchner's wife and also Severo's mother but a really great reveal and, and it also brings a lot of things into focus that we didn't have in focus prior how about number four so i'm going to put training with lorne in the four spot and this was a, a fun one it uh kind of had like a princess bride sort of callback for uh, me nice where he says i i have something to tell you I'm not really left-handed <laughs> and then he switches hands because that's kind of the thing, right? Is, is you go into this suspecting that, that Darrow is completely outmatched and he kind of goes, I need to tell you something. I've actually trained with the best razor master in the universe. And then kind of turns it on and, and, uh, cleans, uh, Cassius's clock. <laughs> cleans his clock. I love that. Um, for me, I actually have the inverse, so we're not going to match up totally. We're I think close. dancers alive was a bigger, more important reveal for me. I really like Dancer. We talked about that yeah, last that, season a lot. That makes sense because of what a Dancer fan you are. I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a not a, as big of a fan when you get older, the story gets older. But in books one and two, I'm a really big Dancer fan. And for me, there's a lot of relief almost, I would say, finding out that he was alive because he's on that, that gift that several brings into the scene we talked about in chapter 23, I believe. And he's like that. It's a whisper gem. I think that's what it's called. And Daryl blows on it and Ares is talking at him with the Ares helm. But then Dancer comes in and makes a cameo like, hey, like, what's up, man? I'm alive. Like, <laughs> Harmony is totally off her rocker. She's crazy. So don't believe her. Uh, so I, I found a lot of satisfaction and relief knowing that Dancer was indeed alive. The only thing I have to say about that, I like Dancer in the first trilogy. I, I do I not know, care for him in the second trilogy. But if I'm being honest, I kind of did not have Dancer on my mind at all. I wasn't looking for him or wondering what happened to him. And suddenly That's fine. he was there and I was like, oh yeah, you're supposed to be dead. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do agree with you about the second trilogy Dancer. Not a yeah. good hang. Not a good hang at all. I, that's, that seems um, to be a pretty popular belief. I know our, our uh, Discord community was actually just talking about Dancer in that same in that same way. So Yeah. So my final reveal, I don't really find a lot of satisfaction in the training with Lauren between books one and two. I just don't feel like that's something that I like your Princess Bride thing because I know we're both big fans mm-hmm. of that movie. But at the same time, it just doesn't have any gravity to me because 
at that point, you've only heard references of Lauren. You don't even know who he is. You don't really meet him until later in the book when we talked about like the old man's wrath chapter kind of era of the book. So we don't know who he is or what he represents or what he's all about quite yet. So all I know is he's an Olympic knight that's a baller. He can do whatever he want with a razor. That's it. So for me, it just didn't carry a lot of weight. Those are the five reveals that really propel this book. I mean, without Pierce Brown building up reveals and making that kind of one of the propellers of the book, I mean, this book would be dramatically different without the Ares reveal, without Eo being pregnant. It just adds so much weight and adds so much momentum to the story of Darrow. You're absolutely right. I mean, this would just fall flat and be this much more hollow story without those. Fitchner, RIP, you are the man. We care about you. We, we think your character is so rad. So until next week, Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper is a production of Catacomb Party. Thanks to Pierce Brown for creating this universe. And thanks to all the contributors who make this show possible. We were engineered by Joshua Ramsey, with editing and sound design by Math Ardelion. The bit of music you're hearing right now was written and produced by Sahab. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. And follow at HailReaperPod on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for updates, giveaways, and more. You can support the show directly by joining our Patreon community, where we issue monthly bonus content, exclusive artwork, and hang about with all the howlers in the Discord. Visit patreon.com slash hellreaper to learn more. This is Broadcast signing off. Until next time, hail the gory damn reaper. Oh, my God.